Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. This week's episode of the show is supported by the Strength Factory and Privateer Bikes. First though, it's time to announce the winners of our Crank Brothers competition. Andrew Brooks, Richard Betts and Oren Wilson are our lucky winners and you guys should have an email in your inbox from me to help you claim your prizes. Congratulations to the three of you. If you're looking to interrupt your game over the winter and get fit and strong for when spring rolls around, then I can personally recommend the Complete MTB programme from Ben Plenger, who's been on the podcast a number of times and is responsible for this year's most popular episode on how to shred until you're 70. It's the plan I've been following since the gyms reopened earlier in the year and I've been massively feeling the benefits. If you want to give Ben's Complete MTB programme a go, then as a downtime listener, you can get $20 off the eight-week foundation part of the programme until the 23rd of November by using the code downtime at the checkout over at thestrengthfactory.uk that's thestrengthfactory all one word then .uk not .co.uk as we're in a period of uncertainty with lockdowns in a number of countries and gym access not necessarily being available all the time it's worth noting that the foundation program is yours for life so if you need to pause it during any lockdowns and that's no worries it's always there for you also if you want to train while gyms are closed but you don't have any equipment then ben has a bodyweight only program on his website that is yours for life for just 16 pounds you can find that at the strengthfactory.uk forward slash bodyweight mtb or via the links in the show notes for this episode over at downtimepodcast.com. Part of the Rider Firm family, Privateer Bikes was formed after they got frustrated with the fact that progressive design seemed to mean premium prices. Deciding a different approach was needed, they sought to combine race-ready geometry with rider-focused features to ensure that the frames live up to their namesake and can handle seasons worth of abuse. Developed with top 20 EWS rider Matt Stuttard and with the Enduro World Series in mind, their 161 race bike features 161mm of rear travel and forward-thinking geometry so that it descends as fast as possible whilst also reducing fatigue with a low effort climbing position. With Matt on board, the 161 has already proven itself capable of top 10 finishes. Learning from this, the more trail-oriented 141 followed closely, offering a ride that's more suited to those without the Alps in their back garden, but who still want something capable of the odd local enduro or two. If you're interested to find out more, then check out last week's episode with the team behind these two awesome bikes, and head to privateerbikes.com to see the full range. Don't forget to make sure you subscribe to the show. It's free and it means you'll get every episode as soon as it drops. It's super easy to do with buttons for all the major platforms over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe. If you want to support the show, you can head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop and grab yourself a treat. There's t-shirts, sweatshirts and hoodies. They're all totally organic, printed to order and shipped with no single use plastic. All right, it's time for a quarantine catch up with the one and only Eddie Masters. We'll be finding out how his season went, hearing about his get fit quick plan, chatting World Cup and EWS racing in general, team rumours, the state of World Cup downhill and plenty more. So without further ado, here's Eddie Masters. Eddie Masters, welcome back to the Downtime Podcast. How's things with you? Uh, yeah, things are good. I'm... Um... I'm doing this podcast from my hotel room in Auckland where I'm uh, just finished day nine of my 14-day quarantine in a government-run managed isolation facility, which is kind of like a nice version of a jail where you get nice food and a comfy bed, but um, comes with all the trappings that a normal jail would, including quite strict (laughs) security and not much freedom, but... It is what it is. It's what New Zealand are doing, and um, I can get behind how they're approaching this scenario. So, um, yeah, that's where I'm at. 
But. Fair play. Yeah, we were having this conversation the other day and someone was like, oh, I don't envy those guys two weeks in a hotel. And then I was like, well, when they get out, A, they're in New Zealand, B, it's pretty much the summer, and C, there's no COVID there. <laughs> so it sounds like pretty good, really. Yeah, exactly. I can look out my window and I can see the world functioning as it, as it did pre-COVID. And um, that's something that's kind of hard to come by in the rest of the world. So um obviously do your time and then you get to enjoy what is a hundred percent a normal lifestyle and everything that's uh we get to do and new zealand is free of free from restrictions so i can understand i I don't mind at all having to do it um obviously it's a bit tedious and the time's kind of going a bit slow but it's nice to i'm trying to use the time to do some constructive things and it's nice to take a break. I had a bit of a hiding in the last few races and stuff, so it's good to force myself to do a bit of recovering as well. Yeah, we'll talk a bit about that in a sec, but you're planning to run a half marathon this weekend, yeah? Yeah. The more I think about it, the more idiotic it becomes. Um, <laughs> yeah, so basically I saw um, one of Mark Scott's friends who I'm friends with, uh, from Scotland, I saw he ran a 5k in his hotel room and that kind of sparked the idea, um, to do a marathon in my hotel room, which is a five meter <laughs> lap. And then, but then when I crunched the numbers, I was like, no way, it'll take me like a whole day. And, um, yeah, it's be some close to nine, nine and a half thousand lap lengths of my room. Whoa. So I was like, oh, I'll do a half marathon. Um, and Brooke and uh, Charlie Murray, who also flew home at the same time as me, and they're not in the hotel rooms. They're not in the same hotel as me. Uh, when I posed the question to them, they thought it was a good idea as well. So um, just like that, the idea was born. Um, and it's kind of fitting as well because it's almost a year on since Brooke um, was in the spinal unit that we're fundraising for um, yeah. with – obviously an injury that he couldn't that was that he he couldn't walk at the time um and obviously he's made a remarkable recovery so to even be able to take part in the fundraiser um says a lot about his recovery and how um ridiculously successful it's been and it's partly because of that spinal unit that he was in so we were like you know even if we raise a thousand dollars or we raise ten thousand dollars um it's just a little it's, – it's a funny way for us to, like, give back to a cause that's pretty close to our hearts. Um, and so far, it's been real good. It's, like, been an awesome way for me to use my time. We've been trying to, like, drum up as much publicity as we can. And uh, I think when I checked before the page, we'd raised uh, $7,000 and we had a $10,000 goal. So I'm pretty confident that we'll hit that. And um, – yeah, it's pretty cool, but it's going to be horrible. I have to do 4,220 lengths <laughs> of my room. So oh, I've, man. Yeah, I've definitely drawn the short straw. Um, so Brooke and Charlie both have eight-meter rooms. So Anton's got an 11-meter room. So, um, yeah, I'm definitely uh, at a slight disadvantage when it comes to the time or how competitive I can be against the other guys. But um, it'll be a good laugh for those watching from the outside, but maybe not so much for us who are doing it <laughs> until it's finished. <laughs> and what? how long do you think it's going to take? Because it's going to be way harder than a regular half marathon, right? 
Yeah, yeah. It's um, well, it's just like even the like you, you never get a. I don't. I don't ever get a full stride in. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm either speeding up or slowing down, and uh, you know every one or every two seconds I have to turn around. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's definitely uh, you know it's quite a bit harder. On the on the limbs physically than a normal <laughs> marathon, not so much, and you can't run as fast. So, um, I've only I only ever run ten k when I run. So this will this will be the longest I've ever run before, and in, <laughs> in quite quite different circumstances that I would have imagined. But um, yeah, I think it'll probably take me about three and a half hours if I uh-huh. yeah maybe four hours if I have a break or two. Um, but yeah, people can tune in on the Instagram and stuff and, uh, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Or check out if it's retrospectively after this comes out, check out, um, our pages and stuff and there'll be some footage up of how it all transpired. Amazing. And you've got no excuses really. Like Brooke couldn't walk a year ago. So if he's doing it, you've got to, right? Exactly. Yeah. No excuses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Which is what I say. Like the more I look at it, I'm like, man, this is really going to suck. Like, but I have no, there's no, there's no out. Um, we'll be doing, we'll definitely be completing it. Um, and just stoked to just stoked that the fundraiser has kind of taken off and it's got some legs and, um, we've been able to raise a decent amount for these two charities, which is, um, which is epic because yeah, play. it definitely makes it means um, our time stuck in a hotel room was well, while it was also for the uh, health of our country, it was also um, used in a positive, you know, positively. Yeah, definitely, man. And the media over there has kind of caught on to it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we're on a we were on a sports show today um, called The Crowd Goes Wild, and then um, tomorrow we've got TV One News. They um they did like a Zoom interview with us and they're going to run a little piece, and then um paper the paper and stuff have been uh, running a few articles, which is all good which is all good because it means uh, raises awareness for like what we're trying to do and uh, yeah just keeps those donations rolling in which is the end goal. Yeah, and everyone's good work, man. Yeah, everyone seems to be having a good laugh at our expense. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll hop on the page after we finish this chat, and I'll uh, I'll throw some money into the pot because that's it's a fair effort. Good on you. Yeah, yeah. Cheers. No, every little bit counts, which is kind of funny because it's symbolic of the run and the whole way the donations work. Because <laughs> every little bit counts to a half marathon when you're doing it in a hotel room. Definitely. <laughs> good stuff, man. Good stuff. Was it always the plan then to not be racing loser? Um, yeah, for me it was. Uh, well, it was and it wasn't. Um, admittedly, we never thought loser would go ahead. So my original okay. my original flight was booked uh, to leave after Maribor. And then, um, yeah, and then I was kind of tossing up, but had I – had I raced looser, the way the way the flights and stuff into New Zealand were working, I probably I would I wouldn't get home until the last week of November, and mm-hmm. uh, and then there's just really no downtime for me because um, with some projects and stuff that I've got come out this summer, um, yeah, there'd just be no chill before it all ramps up again because we go straight into like summer again. Um, yeah. 
So I discussed it with Bernard and he was, um, I never, I didn't think he'd be keen, but he, he kind of understood what I was on about. Um, and he was okay for me to skip the last two or the, the last race or two races in Lusa. Um, because like with racing the Enduros and stuff, and then we went to Crankworks and stuff, we'd already, you know, we'd, we'd done more racing than everyone else had anyway. So, um, yeah, it's not like it's a, you know, you don't like, you don't count races and stuff, but, um, given the circumstances and the fact that like I picked up, picked up an injury and well, not a major injury, but I was a bit battered and bruised after Maribor and I'd broken a little bone in my hand. Um, and just all those things, I was just kind of keen to, uh, to reset. I'd had a successful season, you know, I obviously hadn't, uh, wasn't exactly where I would have liked to have been, but given the build up and stuff, I was pretty happy with how it all, um, how it all unfolded that, uh, you know, you kind of, it was a case of quit while you're ahead and, um, yeah, <laughs> just head home, reevaluate, reset, recover and, uh, hit 2021 hard. Yeah, well, and in theory, if everything goes to plan, it's a pretty early start next year for you guys with EWS, isn't it? I think. Yeah, it always. It, yeah, it's great. It always seems to get start earlier and end later, so um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is always a bit of a stitch up. But um, yeah, I think the the first race is at the end of. Oh, it's maybe at the end of March. Um, yeah, I think so. It's really early, isn't it? Yeah, so I just. Um, yeah, I saw that Crankworks in New Zealand might be finishing finishing the season in November rather than starting the season. So um, the EWS in that case will be the first race for us. Um, but yeah, yeah, it is it is an early start, and that's part that's kind of what I was alluding to with the um, you know like not having any rest because my my training kind of starts ramping up in the middle of December anyway. So it's nice to have a bit of a break. Definitely, man. Definitely. Well, let, yeah, let's go kind of wind the clocks back to like this time last year, maybe. We caught up at, I think it was Hardline was the last time we chatted and you were sporting your um, your wrist injury from North Star still at that point. Yeah. That was, yeah. That's kind of nasty. It took a while for that to get sorted, yeah? Dude, it was, it was real gnarly. I wasn't really letting on like how serious it was, but it was quite serious because um, there was quite a good chance that it wouldn't actually heal. And if it didn't heal, then that would be me out for a whole nother year. Um, but was it scaphoid? Yeah, it was scaphoid, but it was also the fact that I'd like dislocated my wrist and torn all the ligaments off. So, um, you know, I was, I was trying to heal three injuries at once, but, um, the main issue was that the scaphoid had like basically shattered. So I had two screws in it and they were worried that it wouldn't survive. And then, but they, they won't, they don't know that it's not going to survive until about five months in. And then if it doesn't survive, then they go to plan B, but that's like, you know, that's a right back to square one again. So I was a little bit concerned, but obviously don't want to like, tell everyone that only those closest <laughs> because um not so much like the contracts and stuff because i'm lucky in the sense that i've got a team that like back me regardless but um yeah it's just 
as a athlete and stuff, like obviously you've got a lot of, if you've got a lot of doubt in your mind and stuff, you don't want to like, um, you don't want to kind of make that any worse by everyone always saying, Oh, it's not going to, Oh, you're like, but you're a bit up shit Creek and all that. You just kind of keep your cards close to your chest. But luckily, um, thankfully it did heal, which, um, most of the surgeons and stuff were pretty uh, surprised to see, and they all they all studied it pretty closely because it was the surgeon in America had done a top job, and they couldn't they kind of couldn't believe that it had healed. And okay. um, I've always been pretty good at healing, so um, maybe I've just got the lucky genes and stuff. So I didn't um, I didn't get the go ahead to start writing until shit like the last week of. Uh, February, but obviously, I was, yeah, I was riding. Um, I was riding on the road bike and stuff, so I was, I was able to work on my fitness. But I hadn't been off road until um, the end of February, um, which I was. I was never really concerned because I'd had a load of time off the bike with an ACL the year before. Sorry about the hiccups here. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, so I, I was like, oh, I know how to. I know how to rehab a major injury and I know how to like mentally get through it. Cause that's probably, that's probably the part of it is like dealing with the self doubt. But I was like, nah, I, like I'm good at what I do. Yeah. Just get healthy and all the cards will fall back into place. And they, they did uh, massively. So I ended up winning the first enduro back at Crankworks. Yeah. It's a good start. Um, which I was like really surprised by. And, uh, obviously really stoked but that kind of that was the perfect start to the season because it just it really gave me that confidence that yeah I was back and uh I was still going to be able to compete at the highest level you know because sometimes you start doubting yourself when you think have I still got it like am I going to come back and maybe the whole world's woken up to the fact that (laughs) <laughs> you know, like everyone's woken up and uh, way quicker or you weren't actually that quick. It was just, yeah. So that was, that was mean. I was stoked on that, but then COVID hit. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. And that definitely yeah. threw a spanner in the works and continues to do so, which, yeah. Um, so I wasn't, what, what was it? What was it like that early part of the kind of COVID stuff in New Zealand? Because Jacinda's been pretty on it over there, right? Yeah, well, like, all this COVID stuff was going on, and we were like leaving Crankworks, and the, um, we went down to Queenstown for a week, and we did a bit more riding before heading to the first two enduros in South America, and we still kind of weren't taking it seriously. We were just like, oh, yeah, like whatever. And then um, we were riding in the bike park, and everyone got a text on or like an alarm go off on their phone, which um, mm-hmm. was like a national text alarm saying Whoa. that the country is going into nationwide lockdown in 24 hours. Um, basically use this 24 hours to sort your shit out because we're going into lockdown for a month. And we were all like, and then we went to go to another lap and the lifties at the bike park were like, nah, nah, we're shut. Like the whole country's going into Jeez. lockdown. And we're like, oh, what? And then all of it, so <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was like, is this real? It seemed like something out of a sci-fi movie. <laughs> yeah. So me and Cole Lucas are like, fuck, what do we do? Like, I need to get home. Like, um, not really set up because, like, obviously 
I'd moved out of the house I was living in and stuff because I was going away for the rest of the season. Um, so I didn't really have like a base in Queenstown. Um, so I was like, shit. And then everyone started panicking and stuff. And I managed, I was very lucky and I managed to get a flight home uh, to where my parents live. Um, and I flew out. But, yeah, the whole country was just uh, kind of in a state of disarray trying to sort all that. Everyone was just trying to sort it out before we went into this lockdown. And then we went into a month-long lockdown, which was really strict when I talked to every, – every country had a lockdown, but we the whole country in it for us was like the only place you could go was the gas station or the supermarket or the pharmacy. And, uh-huh. um, you know – the whole country was kind of in on it. So you felt guilty if you were like going shopping for a few things, everyone was just doing big shops and like staying at home and no cars driving around the street. Like the cops would ask you where you're going if you're out on a bike or anything. Um, so it was quite strict, but, um, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was really bizarre. You never expect in my lifetime that something like that would happen, but it did. And, um, we got through it and then New Zealand slowly returned. We had like a level system and we went back to level three, which gave you a little bit more freedom, but not as much. And then level two. And now as a country, we're back at level one, which is basically completely normal. Um, the only thing, if there's no levels, it means COVID doesn't exist. So yeah, right. at the moment we're at level one and I think a lot, like a lot of the lot of the world has watched how New Zealand did it, but we're really lucky being a nation, like an island nation, and not having a huge population that we can control it quite easily. Yeah, yeah. So, like, um, all credit to like the government and stuff for making for doing it how they did it, and because everyone everyone was well informed and they all knew how it was going to work, and I think that made the difference. There was no like doubt everyone at least knew what was happening. Um, but yeah, we definitely, we definitely have the novelty of being able to like shut our borders and, you know, only having like four, four or 5 million people makes getting the word out about what the plan of attack is really easy. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Sounds like it's been a little bit more uh, joined up, shall we say, than it has in the UK. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I think, um, like regardless of like what your views are on politics and stuff, like there is there is that element of trust with like Jacinda's leadership and she has like, yeah, she has kept everyone well informed and stuff, which I think a lot of other countries have been lacking. Yeah, yeah, definitely, man. It's, mm. uh, it's paid off well, I think, for sure. So there's no like social distancing or masks or any of that kind of stuff for you guys now once you're out of quarantine. No, no, not at all. Um, I'm so wow. looking, I'm so looking forward to it. It was such a trip for me when I like went from New Zealand to Europe, and then like I, oh, I'm so forgetful as well. I always forget my mask, so I'm just I just get <laughs> I just get stitched up everywhere I go. <laughs> Fair play. Yes. What was it like then? Because that must be your first winter at home for a good good while, right? Yeah, it was. Um, so yeah, going home and I uh, live with my parents for a couple of months and stuff, and that, that was awesome. I was like, where my parents live is a really nice place. There's like great beaches and stuff. So I was just surfing every day and uh, doing some renovations on my house, and um, so I had a lot of stuff to like use my time up. And then um, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't like really riding much. Um, I definitely like I wouldn't say like 
I just wasn't really motivated at all. I just kind of like I'd worked so hard over the off season to get back to the first race. And then when that was kind of taken away from me, I was kind of like, I kind of had like that whole like, oh, what's the point mentality, which is probably not, not the best way to look at it. But like, if I'm being honest, that's kind of how I was feeling. Um, yeah. But so I wasn't really riding much. Um, you know, it's not sustainable to be able to like to train. You can't just like keep going on that like curve and ramping everything up because it just wouldn't be fun, enjoyable or sustainable. But um, so I'm, when I moved back to Queenstown, um, I was just doing, I was just skiing a lot. Um, I had to keep, keep me busy. I was just helping out a friend on the building site for a few hours every day. And then in the afternoons I'd go skiing and uh, before work, before we'd go and do some work in the mornings, we'd go to the gym and stuff to try and keep in shape. But um, it was really nice because I'd never, I hadn't done a winter since 2011. So um, yeah, it was sick. It was like, uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, but then when the time did come, to go racing again, I realized that I was actually really missing riding my bike and it was quite good because like having a decent time off that wasn't like forced due to an injury. Um, yeah, it kind of just reset everything. And then I was really excited and kind of stoked to go back. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's get, it's good to get that like, yeah, total break from it to realize how much you love it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then, so, um, yeah, like, I mean, admittedly, I was like, a lot of people, especially with the media and stuff in New Zealand, were saying, telling me how much of a bad idea it was to go overseas and, like, how irresponsible it was that they were making us go racing. But, like, um, you know, no one was making me go racing. I was choosing to, and I was kind of, so I kind of, yeah, I did think, like, oh, yeah, maybe I, maybe this is a bad idea. But then I kind of just, like, swung my swung myself my thinking round and I was like, well actually I'm kinda lucky that we do have a series to go to because um at one side I'm lucky that I get to do this as a job and then on the other side I've got I'm lucky that there is a place that we can go to work. <laughs> like Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because all these other sports and stuff, they don't. Um and you know, yeah, you're only as you know, it's quite cutthroat in the, these industries and stuff. So you're only as good as your last season. And so pretty lucky to get a season to be able to just keep making the most of the opportunities that we've got, which, definitely, is, definitely. Yeah, yeah, which is pretty sweet. And then it was a sick summer. It was like, I was stoked when we got to Morzine. We went into like this pretty intense boot camp because obviously hadn't been riding much and was a little bit behind the eight ball. So we only had two weeks for a get fit quick. <laughs> Uh, yeah which which isn't ideal when you're racing enduro but um if you put in the hard work it yeah you can turn it around pretty quickly um so go on then what do you what do you do in two weeks to get ready for an ews i mean you've already got a a very good base level of fitness anyway right but what how do you sharpen up uh well i didn't really have a base fitness because i wasn't really riding i was just in the gym um but like I'm i'm not a I don't like carry around a lot of weight and stuff. So I always think of it as if you don't have like, if you don't have to lose weight, then you you don't have to spend any time like trimming anything off. You just, you can just sharpen the pencil. So my, to get fit quick, I just go, I just go and ride a shitload and just climb. 
um, basically all climbing, which probably isn't the best. It's like people will tell you that's not the best way because, you know, enduro is so explosive and you need to be strong, but you also need to be fit. So um, we just go to Morzine and we just, you know, climb to 2,000 metres every time we ride, probably 1,500, 2,000, and uh, just do that day after day. And then after about six or seven or eight days in, you start feeling pretty – you start feeling like you've come out of that, this is horrible stage. And then (laughs) at at about 10 days in, you're like, oh, shit, I'm feeling good. And then once you start feeling good, you're like – that gives you confidence that, oh, yeah, sweet, let's go racing. We should be all right. Ready to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you were straight into Zermatt was the first race, wasn't it? And uh, it wasn't – they weren't exactly kind to you weather-wise that weekend, were they? (laughs) No, they were horrible. It was like literally (laughs) – snowing snowing so hard that like i went and we went and dropped 120 francs each me and bernard on like these really fancy over gloves just for the liaisons because um you know it was seriously cold um and no one was really expecting that uh and luckily it stopped snowing for for us when we arrived at the top but no it was pretty miserable um and then I didn't have the best weekend, uh, so it wasn't really the, an ideal start to the season for me, but it was like it was all good as well because I hadn't had a mechanical in ages and I ended up ripping my derailleur off in the first stage, so um, my race was kind of done then. But the, the, the race got basically cut short to only two stages um, due to the weather anyway, so I was like, oh, well, the first race has kind of got an asterisk next to it anyway so i was pretty positive leaving it even with a shit result it was all good yeah 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 but, um, it must be pretty hard to get motivated though because you got like races have just been getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back you're finally at one it's snowing and then like stages are getting cancelled like it just it must have seemed like it was never gonna happen it was it, honestly yeah, it did it just felt like the gift that kept on giving but no one wanted to receive it because we're just like really and then you're like maybe this is a sign that we shouldn't be racing <laughs> but um nah it was all good like oh hats off to chris and roy and stuff from the ews because like fuck, it's a hard one to call and everyone was stoked that we did race those two stages obviously there was some gripes about it not being an enduro because it's only two stages but like no one, no one in their right mind would have wanted to have peddled the liaisons out in the open for the other stages. So, like, right. to get it to get the event to go ahead and at least get two in, like, fair play. Because um, otherwise, like, it's in my eyes, it's like fuck, any racing is better than no racing. So, two stages is better than one, and one's better than none. So, we we travelled all that way, and everyone had spent all the money and all that privateers and the amateurs and the and stuff like they all wanted to race because you know like that's what they've spent their spent all their hard-earned money on um that if you didn't get to do it it'd be a shit shit it'd be a shitter everyone kind of loses yeah. so no nah, it's pretty it was all good like i was happy that we i was happy to go racing regardless like i mean obviously not happy because i hate riding in the cold but um yeah it was like yeah no it was good that we we made it happen or they made yeah. it happen what, 
what was it like with all the sort of COVID protocols in place then? Did you feel, did you feel like it was pretty safe? Do you think it's a, a, a thing that we could, if we're in the same position next year, we can carry on working that way? Yeah. I mean, the problem is, is like you can have all these COVID protocols at the race, but because people aren't living at the race, like, you know, the, the rest of the world and society doesn't have the same protocols. So on paper, it's good that you've got them at the race because it shows like you're making a conscientious effort and you're doing everything you can to keep everyone safe. But like, if you, if you have these double standards, so like when you leave the pits, everyone can just cruise around the supermarket and everyone can hang out and stuff. But then inside the pits, you have to hang out in bubbles and, um, they kind of contradict each other, but yeah. I mean, the fact that we got races to happen this year shows that we can have races and there weren't any huge outbreaks. Um, you know, there was a scattering of positive tests, but like just the fact that they, they did it this year and they showed that they can have races. I mean, it, it, we should be regard only, only unless there's like government, um, governments like stepping in and saying, no, you can't have races should be all good to have them again next year. So that's one thing I was stoked about how both the World Cups and the EWS got their events off the ground because it shows that they can do it. Yeah, yeah, we can do it and we're not making the COVID problem any worse as a result, I guess. Like there haven't been any, like you say, huge, huge chunks of people yeah, that have come and down like, with it, um, like, certainly lower than the population. And like the industry's stoked because they need it. And then we're stoked because we need it. And then the fans are stoked because even in a shit time, everyone enjoys watching racing. So um, I think everyone's, you know, everyone's pretty stoked that it that it happened and that we managed to um, manage to make it, you know, get the get the ball rolling. And then hopefully it carries on and we can just make it happen again in 2021. Because like I can't see. A lot of people think like COVID's like even me. I'm like, oh, 2020 was such a shit year. 2021 is going to be so much better. But I can't really see see a dramatic, a drastic change happening in the next few months. So mm-hmm. I think um, we've just got to like learn to live with it for now. And um, the fact that there's races going on right now, um, hopefully, means that they can continue to do so for the following season. Yeah, definitely. Hope so. And so you, you went on from there and uh, they, I think they made the decision after Zermatt to shorten the season and just have the Pietra and Finale rounds. How was it? A bit warmer at least. Oh, dude, it was insane. Um, so the, oh, we actually went to Malini and stayed with um, Sven and Anka for a week leading up to the two Italian nice. rounds. And then, yeah. Um, yeah, so... Oh, we did this thing called the Hell Ride, where we rode from uh, Sospel in France to Malini, which was um, 130 k's. Oh, uh, 130 k's! Uh, it was it was aptly named the Hell Ride. Um, <laughs> yeah, 130 k's with a four four and a half thousand meters climbing on all these old Roman uh, Roman supply roads and stuff, and we rode some sick trails, but. Yeah, that was that was my biggest day ever in the saddle. But we had a sick crew: me, Cole Lucas, Mark Scott, um, Brady Stone, and uh, Charlie Murray. And um, yeah, that was that was pretty epic. But maybe maybe it wasn't the best idea to do a week before um, two two EWSs in thirty mid thirty degree heat because 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I was a little bit fatigued, <laughs> recovering still. But um, now those two races were mint. Um, it was cool just to like you know have two races, but essentially be in the same area. So we stayed in the same place for two weeks. You know, you're on the beach. The trails were like they were like kind of similar but quite different in their own ways, which was sweet because it made meet each venue um wasn't you know it wasn't just the same stuff um yeah and i picked up two fifth places which i was pretty stoked with i knew i could kind of tell i didn't i wasn't like firing in terms of you know i wasn't winning stages but i was consistent and that like uh consistent enough so i was really happy with how i rode and i was stoked with the results um but yeah, I just kind of, I just wasn't quite on the pace with the, you know, to run in the top three, and that's all good because like that's how it goes sometimes. So it's you know, some you have your you have your great days and you have your good days, and um, I had a couple of good days, and then, but it makes you appreciate when you do have those great days. So I was pretty stoked anyway. Yeah, where do you think that lack of kind of performance was coming from to just nudge it up that little bit was it like a lack of time riding that sort of stuff is it fitness uh, and fatigue nah, or like it was just not racing i just didn't have the um i just didn't have that spark that you get because uh-huh. normally for me racing downhill racing downhill is like kind of where i get the speed from and that translates over to enduro so yeah i was still kind of finding my feet um with having not raced in such a long time um you know, I'd only done one race in basically uh, a year since I'd broken my wrist, which was the one race in Crankworks. Um, so, yeah, not having not having those races to like build your speed and kind of like settle into your groove of how hard to push. Um, yeah, I just felt like I was, I don't know, I was riding a little bit vanilla, if that makes sense. And just yeah, yeah, yeah. But then as the sta- as the days got on, my stage results were picking up, and I was pushing harder. And then because enduro is weird, it's like um, you know, generally if you're going to get loose going slow, you may as well get loose going fast because you're you're making the same you'll you'll make the same mistake. You just may as well make it at a higher speed. Because and when you make a mistake that little bit faster. You know your brain, your brain picks that up, and you always end up saving it, and you save it going slow. It's not the speed; it's just like it's the fact that you've made the mistake. So you kind of only figure that out later as you get a few races under your belt. That really you can push pretty hard and you can attack, and ninety nine percent of the time it works out. It's not the like the fact that you're going fast. It's you because you. It's that element of blind racing that comes into it, and you generally make the mistake because because it was like unknown it wasn't because you were like pushing too hard yeah um yeah and then so when you kind of figure that out then then you, you can start riding really fast even on stuff that you don't quite know where you're going yeah it's interesting that this season seems to have shown how important it is to race in order to race fast you have to race sort of thing like you need that time in a competitive environment there's nothing there doesn't seem to be a way to simulate that outside of a race environment like the french riders have have had more downhill races than anyone else this season and it seems to have helped them get ready oh and a huge like um you know enduro you've got like a lot more time to play with so you can get a good result 
and you can still be, you know, you can, uh, you can be, you know, like how I was. I didn't feel like I was, I just didn't feel like I had that spark, but you can't do that in downhill. And like that showed in my results um, in the downhill races. Um, I straight away I knew, um, I knew that I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't comfortable, not so com- not comfortable in terms of like I was scared or anything like that, but um, I wasn't, I just didn't have that feel for the bike time and um, that you need with downhill. Um, and, you know, and my results showed I wasn't really, I wasn't really where I would have, ex- would have liked to have been. Um, and I put that straight just down to not racing and not having enough time on the downhill bike. Yeah, that makes total sense. Mm. You coming back to the the last couple of rounds of EWS, you had a bit of trouble with uh, with some of the light conditions here, yeah, which led to an interesting goggle setup. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's just this one stage. Um, there was like kind of white volcanic rocks, and then a really dappled light coming through the trees. And I'm quite blind. Like I'm really blind. If I yeah, I'm quite blind anyway. I like wear glasses and stuff. Um, and I honestly just could not make out what was light spots and what was a rock. And um, after I, I basically got nothing out of the practice session because I was just like, I can't even, I could barely even see that where the track went because wow, I was so focused on trying to figure out what's, what are rocks. That I just said to the boys, I was like, fuck it, I'm going to wear my glasses under my goggles for that one stage. <laughs> <laughs> so I just rode, uh, I rode the day with my glasses in my back pocket. And then for that one, for that one stage, I chucked them under my goggles. And it was a little bit weird because it kind of, if you've never done it before, which I hadn't, that was the first time. Um, I, your depth perception, well, not your depth perception, but because everything's so crystal clear and crisp. Um, yeah, it was a little bit weird, but it definitely saved my race because um, I still got down that stage, like maybe in top 10 stage time, and uh, I couldn't even – I could barely even ride it without my glasses on. So, no, it was definitely a good call, I reckon. Um, I definitely yeah. made the right call. <laughs> so do you normally race with contacts in or not? Nah. So, like, how I, de- okay. how I describe it is, like, like if I'm looking at like a drink bottle that's a few meters away and stuff, I can't read the words that are on it, but I know what size it is and how far away it is and what it is. And that's like, okay. that's kind of all you need to know when you're, cause you don't, you're not focusing. You're not like, I can tell a route is a route and how far away it is, regardless that yeah. it's a little bit blue, like that it's quite blurry. Um, that you're not focusing on the small details cause you're like, so you're looking so far ahead you're not like looking at things as things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know you so, mean. so people, people find, think it's super bizarre that I can ride like this, but I've never, it's all I've ever known. I've never had a problem apart from that one day in finale. Um, I've never had a problem with, you know, obviously it's not, it hasn't been a huge issue for me because I wouldn't, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be able to ride if you can't see. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, 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 but a lot of people trip out when, like, yeah, I can't read road signs and stuff, and they're just like, "What the fuck?" Like, you actually, <laughs> um, they think I'm taking, they think I'm taking the piss, and I'm like, nah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So well, maybe takes, one day takes I'll, the edge off a bit. Yeah, maybe one day I'll get my eyes lasered, but it's kind of a daunting um, 
thing to undergo because you're like, fuck, I kind of need my eyes, and they they have they haven't let me down up until now. So um, maybe we'll keep milking a few more seasons out of them. Yeah, you'd be right. Yeah. Nice yeah. One. And how was that having having Bernard joining you on the enduro squad? Uh, it was pretty funny. He's like, he loves to complain. But I knew, but he loves to complain. But he's fiercely competitive, so he did try really hard. It was nice that I was. I thought it could go either way. He'd either do about as well as he did, or he'd actually do really well um, because he's a hell of a bike rider. Um, yeah. So yeah, I took. It was quite nice that he didn't come in and like do really well because then I would just never hear the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was cool to have him around. He's like. Uh, you know, obviously he loves to complain and some of the trails that we do race are very questionable. Um, I'm not going to lie. He, uh, yeah, he does, he does raise some valid points because it doesn't seem like they do pick the, you know, they do, they don't showcase their best trails or the, you know, sometimes some of the stages are, uh, you know, a lot of what the fuck and a lot of, um, really (laughs) mixed in there. (laughs) Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's always good to have Bernie around. Um, cause the season, cause the season was kind of earmarked. We were just having a good time. It was like, you know, you're on the beach and you know, he likes to enjoy himself. So yeah, no, it was sweet. Um, oh yeah, it was cool. It was cool to have him there. I know he won't be, he won't be doing many, many more enduros unless if he can avoid it. But, um, no, it was nice. It was nice to have him sub in and it's always good to have like a teammate. Yeah. Definitely. You miss him now he's retired though, yeah? <laughs> no, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> it was good to see uh, one of your old teammates firing on all cylinders and, and tearing up uh, with the fastest guys at EWS. Jack Moyer was going well, wasn't he? Yeah, uh, it was always, that was always going to be the case. Um, yeah, he's such, a, he's such a beast on a bike and he's so fit. And uh, he already had a pretty true, proven track record at the few races that he had done. So... Um, I knew I, I had a feeling that he'd just slot straight in at the pointy end of the field, and that's exactly what he did, which is pretty sweet, considering like the off season and all the bullshit that he'd been put through. Um, he deserves he deserved all the results, and um, and he killed it in the downhills as well, which was epic to see. Yeah, so good to see him healthy and enjoying riding. It's uh, he's an incredible bike rider, like you say, and showed it this year for sure. Yeah, and he's just a good dude. Like it, you know, it's painful when you see people like jack who are like you know when the you know like obviously you interviewed him for the pod the podcast and you know some of the stories and i'm sure most of the listeners do as well but like it's not really fair when someone like that gets like put through the ringer because you know he's he puts in so much effort and he's given the sport a lot that he you know he doesn't really deserve to be treated like that so um yeah it's cool that he got some sick results and um you know he can use he can use those results now to like bounce back yeah yeah it's definitely been uh, awesome to see him doing well in both disciplines as well mm-hmm. so yeah you, you headed from there over to world champs in Leah gang and um they kind of spiced it up a bit this year right yeah about time <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um i'm just having a sip of wine here nice um, yeah, about time because, dude, the, well, you know, some people complained about the new course that they'd made, but fuck, they needed it, needed it. Like, we'd been racing, you know, flogging that old track for 
so long. And then, um, yeah, and then writers had been asking for a new track, new track, new track. And then when they got it, they were like, oh, shit. So, <laughs> but, yeah, what did you think when you walked down it in uh, in track walk? Because it, it was already, I mean, the, the forecast was pretty set in that it was going to be a wet week, right? So you knew it was going to be challenging. I was loving it. I was stoked from day one. Um, you know, it you know it was steep and it was raw and stuff, but that's what we want. And so, like, you can't ask you can't ask for something, and then when you see it, say, oh. No, no, that's not what I wanted because they gave us exactly what we wanted. But, um, yeah, so I was stoked. Um, and it was, honestly, the the track was epic right up until race run. Um, <laughs> race run was the only time that it was, you know, that it didn't quite work for everyone. Um, and that was Is that because the mud had got a bit too sticky? Is that what had gone on? Yeah, so like a lot of the week it was raining. So when it was raining, the like, I guess the technical term, I guess the viscosity of the mud was quite liquid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so when it's like that, you can ride fast and you're rolling. And um, But for race runs, because it was snowing, it stopped raining because it was snowing. Yeah. <laughs> and then obviously the snow is not coming through the canopy or the trees. So the lower part of the course, which needed the water, was um, was drying out, and that yeah, that was the undoing. Um, yeah, Got but, yeah, but it was it was sick. I was yeah, hats off to the Leo Gang course builders because obviously it was really tough in the mud, but it would have been unreal in the dry, and um, and it will be unreal when we get to race it again. So and it had. I had a lot of guys scratching their heads, which is cool to see because, like, I think everyone just kind of, like, got a bit too used to this one line and being able to ride in control. And we were, like, we were joking. We were, like, oh, God forbid someone might, you know, like, God forbid Bruni might have to take a leg off. <laughs> you know, like, he might, he might have to take his foot off in a World Cup race run. <laughs> yeah. shock horror yeah yeah and you know it's like and that's kind of where it had got to but yeah so i was i was excited to see uh i was excited to ride the track for myself and um excited to see you know some some classic world champs race runs go down but unfortunately i mean we didn't really get to see much of reese's run but like yeah that was um, a shame he was one he was the informed guy all week so um no one can really take that away from him. He was, he was kind of being pretty dominant just from the get go. Um, so he deserves he deserves that result. And like, um, it was he did he threw down a pretty unreal run. Definitely. Apparently, he had some pretty jazzy lines available for when it was slightly drier as well. I think he was, even he was gutted that it was as wet as it was because. I think he had some some fun lines that he wanted to put in. Yeah, he was riding. He, well, he was just getting off the main line. Everywhere I saw him, he was off the main line in that bottom section um, where not many people were doing that. So it was sick. I was just loving it because I, I, I'm, I'm a diehard downhill fan anyway. So even if I can't do some of the lines and shit, I'm stoked when when you get to see it because you can appreciate how sick the, the person doing it is riding. Like the yeah. uh, that line that Rebby Therion did. Um, oh man! Yeah, yeah. So like shit like that just frosts you out. So um, no, it was a cool race. I was like, you know, it's one of those classic downhill races, but unfortunately, it just got a bit slow and peanut buttery for the race runs. 
Yeah, but again, good to see another one of your protégés uh, doing their thing because Reese was also part of your squad, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we just, we just, he's just another one who's come out of the incubation program, <laughs> trained him well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just, uh, it's just catch and release. <laughs> and how how was your run that weekend? Because you were you were sporting some pretty pretty impressive uh, hand warming technology. Yeah, yeah. Well. Because I had a motorbike over the winter, and because where we live in Queenstown, it's like literally it's a really it's a winter place, snowing and stuff. Um, you can't ride motocross without handguards. I always thought they were really lame, but <laughs> I soon figured out that you have to have them. So then, I hate riding with cold hands. So we uh, cut up a bit of our rubber flooring and made some handguards, and it helps so much. Um, Does it make that much difference? Oh, it makes and it makes crazy amount of difference. Yeah, like you wouldn't be, okay. you wouldn't believe it. Um, your hands aren't cold at all. Wow. Um, yeah. So that was good. Um, my race run was sweet. I like. I had a really good run at the top. Um, I ended up riding in, on flat pedals for the finals day, um, mm-hmm. just because I knew the bottom section. Like the, I was riding really, really good in the bottom section. Um, but I just wanted that, uh, you know, then you can just, you can just save it a lot easier. You don't have, you're not like, as soon as you clipped out in the mud with clips, you're constantly worried about getting your foot back in where flats, you can just make, you can just run what you brung and make it happen. Um, but yeah, so I was, yeah, I was having a good run and then, um, I was, I think I was 10th, uh, at the third split, which is sweet. I was in a good spot going into the bottom because I knew I was I was riding really well in the bottom section and it kind of suited my style of riding. And then I just had a shitty crash. I don't actually know what happened. Um, I've got the video on my Instagram, but just kind of like got a bit offline and coming into a section because my undoing was that I got the section that Remy Therion did that crazy line. I got that too good. <laughs> so then it kind of okay. put me offline into the next section. And then, so I was just kind of like, okay, sweet. I'll just, um, you know, I'll change the plan and just slowly get back onto my line, my original line. And then as I was doing that, it's just my front wheel just stopped. It didn't clog up, but I don't actually know what happened. I just got spat over the bars. Um, Hit a soft patch or something. Yeah, maybe it was just the distribution of the weight with, uh, I don't know what it is, but it's like someone just jammed a stick in my front wheel. Um, Maybe it was that heavy rubber matting hanging off the front of your bike. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So once you've crashed and you've got shit all over your hands and stuff, it's pretty tough. Um, but I managed, yeah. to, I managed to get the, get it down the hill and I came 22nd. So I was kind of, I was really gutted because it was like, I li- if I'd lit- I could have literally just stayed on and you would have easily sat in the top 10, like no worries. Yeah. Um, if not been in the top five, if not fighting for a podium. So um yeah feel like you kind of like you get it well i never like to get annoyed about races because you like where you end up where you ended up and i gave i i tried my best and gave didn't leave anything on the course but you do feel like that uh bit of a missed opportunity feel yeah i guess i guess that's inevitable isn't it really you're a competitive fella you always want to yeah, exactly probably wanna, unless you've won you want to do better than you did right yeah exactly so yeah no, it was, uh, but it was a cool race, um, and it will be sick when we um, get to go back and hopefully race that race that whole track in the in some fa- more favourable conditions. 
Yeah, June, isn't it, next year, I think. So fingers crossed that means we'll uh, have less snow. Yeah, exactly. Cool. And then on from there to the first ever double header in Maribor. And uh, I think we're race runs Sunday at Worlds and then you're on track walk on Tuesday in Maribor. That's that's a pretty tight turnaround, isn't it? Um, Yeah, it is, especially when you've got pit pack down and pit pit set up. and COVID tests and everything to uh, get done. So, yeah, it's a pretty tight time frame. Um, but obviously everyone just kind of packed up on Sunday, drove on Monday, packed up on Monday afternoon, got a COVID test on Tuesday morning and then did track walk on Tuesday afternoon. Um, but it is it was def- it definitely just felt like a whirlwind. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, Wednesday we were – practicing and Thursday we're qualifying Friday we're racing Saturday we're qualifying Sunday we're racing Monday I'm flying home it was like that's mad yeah yeah, it it was crazy what what do you think do you think it's a good format do you think it's something we should do kind of in non-covid times or was it just a good way of getting more racing in this year I mean on paper it's good but uh in theory it's um yeah it's I, I didn't I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Like, a, um, people were like, oh, it's, you know, it's too physically draining and stuff. And I was like, oh, it's not that physically draining to go and ride your bike collectively for like probably 45 minutes in a week. <laughs> um, Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, come on. It's like, the you know, obviously the, the stress and the build up and stuff is draining, but, uh, you you can you can it's not that hard well it is hard but it's not that you are you everyone on the world cup is probably fit enough and in good enough shape to be able to turn up for two race runs in a week yeah. um but i didn't i don't like it cuz it's uh yeah there's just it adds it adds so much so many more little you know uh for the mechanics and stuff it's so much more work um there's yeah there's just a lot more yeah, you know, you're you're a lot more pressed for time. Everything's, yeah, it's a it's a lot harder to manage. Um, so for that reason, just the all the extra admin that goes into it, especially if it's a wet race, like we had two two wet races, and it was just uh, mayhem trying to organise it all. Um, for that reason, I like, would vote no for double headers, but then obviously mm-hmm. for the fans and stuff, it's cool. But I just do double headers, but do it over two weeks. Same, same, um, same location, two week right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Space it out a little bit. Yeah. Give the give everyone a bit more room to breathe. Yeah, because like um, after the first race, we, you know, it's it's all good and well saying, oh, we've only changed you know twenty percent of the track, but when you change certain sections, it changes your entry into the next section and while that section mm-hmm. might be the same as the previous, you know, race one track, because you're entering it at different speed and from a different angle, that section's essentially changed too. So like um on Saturday the, before qualifying for race two, you've got to learn what on paper is only twenty you know, there's only subtle changes to the track, but it's actually a lot different um when you ride it. So yeah, um, yeah, it was quite. Everyone managed and stuff, and and it was all good. But like, um, so I, I think we did four runs, but 
the first run, the first run you kind of roll down and you just check out, um, you know, do a bit of a look lap. And then the second run I had a flat tyre. So then I only really had two runs to kind of put all the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle together, together before doing qualifying. So going up to qualifying, I was like, no way do I feel confident um, in doing a quali run compared to when you normally do a quali run at a one-week race. Yeah, makes mm. sense. Yeah, way less time to learn and, yeah, get used to it, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And then the level's so high these days, like you're not going to go into a quality run and be like, oh, I don't feel that confident. You're still going to ride, sit, like you're still going to ride really fast. There's no like holding back because you can't afford to. It just doesn't work anymore. So mm-hmm. when, you, when you've got that little bit of hesitation or doubt, but you also know that as soon as the, clock starts you're going to ride fully committed it's a little that that the combination of those things is actually like a little bit dangerous <laughs> yeah 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 it makes total sense yeah. especially yeah maybe the first race is okay but by the time you get to the second race when you've been more limited you're more tired like even if you're fit you're going to be more fatigued at that point hmm. and like looser looks incredibly physical i know marable is not an easy trap but like yeah, I, it does look like people are going to be, you know, pretty tired by the time they get to to the end of this weekend as well. Yeah, Lusa looks sick. Um, I've definitely got a fair amount, a healthy serving of FOMO um, <laughs> with Lusa because it looks, um, yeah, I think Brayton said it that, is this the new Schladming? And I was like, oh, don't say that. That's, that's not what I need to hear. <laughs> yeah when you're stuck in a hotel room on the other side of the world that's not mm. it's not ideal is it but yeah it does it does look like a pretty special track it's got a bit of everything hasn't it oh man and then i was talking to win and he was telling me that it's it's actually quite physical in terms of the pedaling the sprints and stuff um oh i'm looking forward to it because i do love um watching the races so it's quite it is quite nice to um yeah, to sit back and watch it because especially when you're friends with everyone, you get all pumped up for everyone. And, um, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to it. And it's sick that I'm doing, I get to do it in quarantine because it's, um, yeah, so I don't mind staying up late and yelling at the computer. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect, isn't it? You've yeah. got plenty of coverage to keep you busy over the weekend. Yeah. Are you, so Maribor beat you up a little bit, yeah? Did you? Was it quite early on in practice you had a big one? Um, yeah, I had a big one on the first practice run. Um, ah, okay. About a hundred meters into the track. Um, oh man. Yeah. I just, uh, I guess foolishly, I just thought what it, what ended up being quite a gnarly like line that not many people were actually doing. I just thought that would be the main line. So I just like sent these, it was just a kind of three, three doubles straight off the bat, but one of them onto, onto roots. And uh, mm-hmm. as it turned out, like it wasn't, it was actually quite tricky to do that. So I jumped the first two, and then when I landed on the roots before taking off the third one, I was like, on the wrong angle. So I was like, oh, okay, sweet, abort. I'll just go around this takeoff, and then just kind of like roll out the tape and park it. But because it was yeah. kind of a little bit slick and with the leaves and stuff, as soon as I went round and grabbed a little bit of back brake, my my bike just went like started full tank slapping. And I was just going left, right, left, right until I hit a tree. 
and I just couldn't slow down and I just got shit whipped around this tree <laughs> um, and just came down on my bad wrist uh, and straight away I knew I was like, oh, fuck, and especially with the scaphoid and stuff, I was really paranoid that I'd done something to that. But, um, yeah. yeah, there's a video of it, and instantly I just grabbed my wrist. I was like, oh, yeah, so I couldn't really – I didn't really have any grip strength. So I rolled down the piece and went straight to hospital and got an X-ray. And um, thankfully it wasn't anything major. I had just uh, – I chipped a piece of bone off my ulna um, and the – Sprain as I was spraining my wrist, it would have crunched the little bone chip and stuff, so it had flared everything out. Um, okay, so the doctor, um, well, he didn't assure me that it was okay to ride, but he said, <laughs> <laughs> he said If you can hold on, which I don't think you will be able to, um, you're not going to do any extra damage, so um, you know, you don't need a cast or anything. So I went back to practice and just rolled down for one lap at the end of time training and, um, yeah, just checked out the course and stuff. And I took some, took a heap of painkillers and strapped it up. And then the next day I was, it was really painful, but, um, as soon as you kind of hyper-focus when you're, when you're riding that, um, after maybe 20 seconds, you kind of forget about it. But as soon as you stop, it's like really bad. The only issue was I couldn't really like pull up hard, um, so I couldn't do. Maribor has like a hot, lot of like pulls over certain over holes and stuff, so I couldn't like jump these uh-huh. compressions. So I just kind of had to adapt. Um, was it improvised? Improvised, adapt, overcome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It was it was a case. It was like survivor Maribor, improvise, adapt, overcome, and. Uh, yeah, just kind of was plowing and holding on and um, managed to each morning I'd just get Wins physio to strap it up so that I couldn't really move my wrist um, and eat a few painkillers and off would go. But it wasn't ideal, but um, I was able to ride and, yeah, I was like, fuck. I was like, I'm going home on Monday and I've got two weeks to let it chill out. Like it's still sore now, but um, it's getting better. And I was like, "Well, shit, you know, you don't come all this way. It's not that's not in, that's not in the Kiwi psyche to quit, especially if, if you can ride." I don't. Really, I didn't feel like I had anything to lose if I wasn't going to do any extra damage. So I was like, "Well, I'm gonna, you know, I want to race." Yeah, and twenty third and thirtieth amongst that field with an injury like that. Are you happy with that? It feels like it's a pretty good result. Yeah, yeah, it is a good result. But, like, um, the only – yeah, it's just the competitive nature thing, you know. And, yeah, um, you always you always want more. <laughs> Even – Yeah. And I'm, telling my, and I'm telling myself in the back of my head, oh, you got an injury, blah, blah, blah. But I know that when I was riding, racing, I was really racing. So, um, injury or not, I probably – you know, yes, I know. Like, you know, a second here and a second there would would have made all the difference, and would have easily, you know, I would have, you know, you're so it's so close to the top twenty. I'm probably a second out of the top twenty. So, like, had I not had a sore hand, I probably would have been in the top twenty. But it's hard to tell yourself that because at the end of the day, I did try my hardest, and that was where I ended up. So for me, that's that's that was my result. So I would have liked. Yeah, I, I always like to be 
um, in the top 20 at least. Um, and yeah, but you've got to appreciate that, you know, it's fucking hard these days. Um, so I'm yeah. like, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So a top two top 30 results is actually sick. And I, um, yeah, I always, I have to remind myself that that's bloody good. Yeah, definitely. It's getting harder and harder every year. So yeah, man, it's so, like all these, yeah, the level is so high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so who's impressed you this year then across EWS and downhill? Like who've who's really stood out for you? Um Well, from day I knew I knew Loris was gonna be like a force to be reckoned with. Um so like not in no way am I surprised that he um went one one over those two races. Um obviously it was Obviously, I was surprised, and everyone was surprised with Reese's result. But from seeing him riding in um, in Leo Gang, there's no way that that was like out of the blue. He yeah. was he was like the informed guy. Um, who's impressed me? That the Irish kid who's won the junior races, um, Oshin, yeah, yeah, Oshie, He's he's been very impressive because. Um, it's not easy to, you know, it's like a lot of the time it takes a little while to settle into um, how to race and stuff, but he's been pumping out some fast times. Um, across yeah, First year junior as well. Yeah, across the board. Um, yeah. So that's pretty impressive. And then um, obviously pretty impressed with how Thibaut Duprella uh, graduated into the elite class <laughs> straight away yeah, with no the podium. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's pretty. I mean, yeah. There's not many, not many people do that. Um, and then at the enduros, the the Kiwi dude we've been helping out on the pivot team, Charlie Murray. Um, yeah, yeah. He was pretty impressive because he hasn't actually been riding for very long at all. Like he he doesn't really know anything about mountain biking, um, which is pretty funny. He's just like a sponge, but <laughs> his raw speed is insane. Um, so we convinced him to come and race uh, the last two World Cups, and he even he qualified at the last two World Cups, and that was his nice. That was his only his third second ever race on a downhill bike. Fair play, <laughs> yeah, that's impressive. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I mean, that's great. Like, yeah, to qualify at a World Cup is a, is is insane. It's like, yeah, it's people chip away at just trying to qualify for one for a long time. So to be able to, you know, the only race he'd done was like a tiny, tiny little race in New Zealand. And I lent him my downhill bike because I was already in um, Europe. And uh, the, se- the next time he raced was a World Cup. So <laughs> no messing. And yeah. he raced e-bike world champs as well, yeah? Yeah. He's just, uh, he's just like, yeah, he's just got the good – um, mindset like he's like well you know he's paying to be there and he's just, so we were like yeah just we were trying to get him an entry for world champs but New Zealand wouldn't do it because he hadn't done any races um, <laughs> we were like come on just let him race uh, and yeah so the next best thing was e-bike world champs but um, <laughs> his bike ran out of battery on the last so he had to do the whole last lap with no battery and, um, oh, man. and he didn't quit. He like 
he was he was running in the top twenty, and then his bike ran out of battery. But so obviously he came last. But like he pedaled a flat e-bike around the whole lap. Um, yeah. Jeez. Whereas a lot of other Good people effort. would quit. So nah. I think that just like uh, reiterates like his good mindset. He's just stoked, stoked about everything. He's like an insane yeah. um, freestyle skier. So he's, okay, he's got a. He doesn't lack any commitment. <laughs> good stuff. One yeah. for the future. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I've, he's um, he's had a lot of interest, which has been cool because like, uh, you know, it's always good when you can like help people, um, put them in touch with stuff. So. Uh, I don't think he'll have any trouble getting a ride for next year, which is sweet. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Mm. What about in the women's side of things? Uh, well, it's cool that Cammy won world champs because uh, we we spent a lot of time with her. Like, she's obviously Emily's girlfriend. Um, uh-huh. So, yeah, that was epic. Um, and for the oh, having Morgan. Um, doing some pretty like winning a race and then being so consistent and then also like coming to crankworks for the on and uh coming second in the downhill race and she's so cool to have on the team um she fits in really well and we were just stoked because she's like so happy to be back on like a team but then we're not like we're not a team in terms of like pressure and stuff we're just like stoked that she's there and she fits in really well so um she's definitely the highlight uh for the women's for me because obviously a little bit biased but um yeah she helped us she helped pivot win the team overall at the ews so no i'd definitely give her a lot of credit yeah and doing it on flat pedals too oh it's sick and she's just so cool she's like there's no yeah she's so easy going and just like really appreciative there's no like I need this, I need that, blah blah blah. There's no ego or anything. She's just stoked. She rode for us when we, I knew she's I knew she was going to be awesome because she rode for us when we had Bergamot going. But um, nah, yeah, she's she fits in so well, and I know that she's really she's really stoked to be part of the team. And then it goes both ways as well that everyone's stoked to have her on the team. Nice. Mm. Yeah, it's a good place to be. Yeah, exactly. So let's we talk about the kind of the good sides of downhill. You wrote an article recently for Vital talking about how, in your kind of eyes, the UCI is stifling downhill, which I found super interesting to read actually. And I have to admit, I hadn't really thought about some of what you bring up in that. Can you give us a like a bit of a an overview of some of the issues that you you talked about in that? <laughs> oh, how, how much time have we got now? <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, and also how has the response been? Because it seems like it, the riders have been behind it definitely. Well, I'll just say I'll just say before we begin, like obviously there there are two sides to every argument, and I've only raised some of them, but I am open minded, and I do see the other side. Um, but I was just raising some points and with my experience because having come from having come up through the ranks, not through, you know, the junior development of a private of a factory team and stuff and haven't had my career mapped out. I came up through as a privateer. Um, the points I was trying to raise and get across um, were basically that like it's from when I started to how it is now, it's a lot harder to break in as a privateer and I feel yeah. that the reason I wrote the, wrote the article is so that 
to just bring some attention to the fact that like um, there should be equal opportunity for people to enter our sport because there's so for someone like me like you know I wasn't I didn't race junior worlds and stuff and anything like that and I didn't race junior world cups but and there's there's probably someone else out there who didn't either but they should at least have the opportunity to show what they've got and come and race at the highest sport if they if they are fast enough to even get the points then or not get the points but get entered by their federation and stuff they should get enough opportunities to show their true colors because there's no reason to say that um the next like bruni is you know is is one of these french guys who's not qualifying in Maribor um, because he might just need a, a few more races to like hone his craft. Um, yeah. And so like an example is like you basically, you need 40 points to enter a world cup and it's not actually easy to get 40 points um, because you can get 40, you can get your 40 points at national championships, world cups, Cat one UCI races or like continental championships, um, mm-hmm. and the problem with the point structure and the way that it is is that if you go to like if we use let's use the UK as an example, um, if you turn up to UK national champs, uh, chances are like Danny, Matt Walker, Green, uh, Laurie, G, etc., etc. They they're also yeah. there. And they've also they've got, you know, they're they're all sitting on four hundred plus points. Um, so, but they're probably going to take the top ten spots because, yep. and so they're taking the points away from the people who've gone to that race to get the points. So then, all of a sudden, it's hard to it's hard to accumulate forty points. And then, so your next option for entering a World Cup is to go via the national jersey route, which means Mm -hmm. each federation has three jerseys um, which they can give out to riders. And these jersey spots are like to develop young talent and give people the opportunity, people who can't get the 40 points, the opportunity to enter a World Cup and, uh, you know, race that way. But is that three three jerseys per round per category, or is it different? Uh, I think for the juniors you get more. I think juniors. Okay. I think juniors you can just enter, but for elite, right? So, but for the UK, there's probably at any given race, there's probably ten people vying for those three spots. Yeah. Um, and in France, probably more. Um, New Zealand obviously don't really have the population, and generally it's like. There's enough. There's three people going for three spots, but um, mm-hmm. so there's a there's a waiting list, and not everyone. Get, you know, you Chaos Seagrave might get one one week, and the next week he doesn't get a jersey. But right. the way the points work is to get forty points at one World Cup race, um, you need to come twentieth, which is yeah. <laughs> so for that guy. If we used Chaos as an example, if Chaos, get, Chaos gets a jersey for round one, 2021, and he comes 21st, so he gets 39 points. He doesn't even, well, 
he's proven that he's probably one of the fastest guys in the world and is obviously of the standard to race World Cups for a long time if you can get a top 20 or 21st at a World Cup. Um, yeah. He still doesn't have enough points to enter himself for the next race. Mad. <laughs> so, like, uh, yeah, and that 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 that's my argument basically um, for that side of it because yeah, yeah. So, like, what I would, I don't have, I don't have an answer of how it should be, but I think, uh, like, I probably broke it down in a clear enough way to show that there's something's not quite right. Yeah, definitely. It doesn't. It doesn't create an easy pathway in, does it? And I guess you either need more opportunity to get points away from a World Cup, or the points mm. requirement needs to change, so, or you need to give more points out. I suppose. Yeah. So, like, how how it works for the EWS, which like I commend them for it, is there's a clear pathway to EWS, and uh, you know certain races get earmarked as qualification races, but those qualification spots. If you're an already if you're already an EWS rider, you're not taking them away. It just keeps filtering down the list. Okay. Um, and that works really well because then, if in the case of like a British national champs, if the first ten spots, the riders who are already on the World Cup, and there were five spots available for that race because it was a qualifying race, then eleven to fifteen would receive those spots. Got you. And yeah, we want all those top riders at the UK nationals because it's one of the only chances we get to see them race at home. So mm. we don't want to discourage them because they feel like they're taking points away. Exactly. It's, so you uh, like yeah, you want makes sense. You want the big guys to come to the races because that keeps the vibes and stuff. You know, it's it keeps the le- the levels of those events high. But you also yeah. you don't want those guys taking, you know, like or like yeah, taking the points essentially because they don't need them. So, like, I just – I don't have, like, the, a right answer or how to say how it should be, but I think um, at least a review of how it is right now uh, would be cool because – but I know it's not going to happen, but at least during like, – I just enjoy it stirring the pot, and it's been well-received because <laughs> people yeah. – um, yeah. And, like, no one no one will ever ask, reach out and ask me about it, <laughs> like, from the UCI or anything like that. And, like – we have riders reps and stuff and like, don't get me wrong. I have a huge amount of respect for our riders reps, but I'll happily go on record and say that they're like not doing a good job. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Why is that? <laughs> because, well, it's just in this, it's like the riders rep is meant to represent the riders. And like, mm-hmm. how can you represent the riders if you don't, if there's no correspondence with the riders? Yeah, fair comment. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Um, it's as simple as that. And uh, the way that some things go through, so moving on to like a thing that I mentioned in the women's and in the article was how the women's practice sessions got split up and no one knew about it. Same with the qualifying order and the start list in Lazinge. So these rules yeah. get passed. And the only people that know about them and actually okay them are the writers' reps. Because they they're at, they're the voting, they get to vote like a proxy for the riders. Okay. Um. So they've essentially voted these rules in, and these rules don't really benefit anyone except I'm not going to name names, but like some you know some of these some of these rules are 
making it completely unfair for other riders and doing giving quite an advantage to certain riders and those riders might be sitting on the panel yeah yeah i'm with you so they certainly like the a b practice split for women is a pretty tough one right because, yeah, because like, B practice is very different to a practice and it's only five women that can come in yeah so like if you're this girl who's six you're practicing 8 30 in the morning till 11 45 and then the top five are coming in at 12 o'clock and practicing all the way into the afternoon and they're essentially riding the track as close especially when it's the day before on the day of qualifying it's even more so because um you're riding the track exactly how it will be you'll come in wash your bike and you'll go straight back up for your race run whereas yeah. the other girls are practicing the track and then having a three hour maybe three and a half hour break before riding it but then all the a practice are coming in and lines are cutting in and lines are changing and um like it's it's just it, I can't see how anyone can see how it would be fair how it's fair mm-hmm. because you just like obviously these the top five have earned it but it's not really so in the men's it's the top sixty who get time training and stuff so it's essentially half the field whereas mm-hmm. for the women's it's a quarter of the field yeah who get that advantage. Yeah, and I guess it's been sold as progress because we didn't have women in A practice before. That's kind of how it's been pitched, yeah. I suppose. But like, if you if you give time training to the top fifteen women, then you should at least give the A practice session to them as well. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. So I'm just like, like, if this rule, if I was sitting at a table and someone was putting this rule forward, I'd be like, well, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. It's like. You know, for just, you know, as a kid, you're brought up for sport to be fair and equal, but like this isn't fair and equal. Yeah, definitely. Um, So could you, like, could you have a riders meeting? Does that ever happen? Not really. There's WhatsApp groups and stuff, but like, and between team managers and stuff, but a lot of people, uh, it's, it's like anything. Everyone's, everyone does look after themselves first and foremost. And like, you know, I'm the same. Like, uh, you know, obviously, um, are always concerned about something that's going to affect you. But uh, th- I think the best thing to come would be if you had a writers' union. But you really need someone to like steer the ship in that respect. But like, I wouldn't want to do it. Loic's talked about it, and it has been mentioned, and I can see it happening in the future. But at the moment, we're a little bit far. We're we're, we're not quite there yet. But um. It will happen because um, there's not there's not much trust from the writers. Well, obviously, I'm speaking uh-huh. speaking on I'm only speaking for myself, but there's th- there's a lot of things you know, rule changes and stuff that just get pushed. It's like like backdoor deals, and um, yeah. when you have stuff like that going on, like how can you trust the organisation? And then even the little things like. Um, you know, you pay twice. You pay twice at uh, the Maribor and the Looser rounds, but they split the prize money. It's like, how does that work? I saw that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty tight. And you had to pay a lot for COVID tests, which has mean a number of privateers mm. couldn't afford to go. Yeah, and they um and they cancelled every single accommodation in Maribor and rebooked you on their COVID safe uh, 
um, accommodation, which was like, so Maribel's generally quite cheap for accommodation for a team like us of eight, it would probably be about a thousand euros for a big place. Um, Our team's accommodation went up to like three and a half grand. What? (laughs) Yeah. And they said, and you can't, you're not allowed to race unless you stay with the, you know, earmarked COVID. You know, they book your hotel for you. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So it was a bit of a there was a bit of a racket going on, and with the COVID testing, which happened to be like fifty euros more than every other COVID test. But yeah, well, I mean, yeah, they kind of have you by the balls because, like, they know you're going to race. Yeah, especially this year, right? Mm. Everyone needed to get out there and do what they could. So yeah, so yeah, but like, not to be a win. I don't want to be a whinging, moaning you know, about everything because, like, there's so much good about it as well. And so, yeah. yeah. But there's just little things that someone's got to, like, yeah, I'm not out to make – well, obviously it'd be cool if you could make a change, but um, it's just good to raise awareness because if you're, like, a young dude or a privateer and stuff, you know, it's, it's easy for me to it's easy for me to speak up, whereas, you know, otherwise people might not be as – might, might not be heard. Yeah, you've got you have someone that gets listened to for sure. What so why would you not want to be the person that starts a riders union? What's the kind of downside of that? Um just because Yeah, I don't really I don't really have an answer for that, but I just probably I don't I don't know if I'd want to be that guy. Cuz uh you can you kind of in that position you live and you die by your sword, but there's so many you know, there's so many points of view and stuff you'd have to take into account, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be accountable for the um, not while I was racing. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I wouldn't. So want, maybe, maybe once if you retired, it would be a different matter. Yeah. So it, it'd be easier to, because not so much a riders' union, but it would be easier to like help out in that thing if you weren't racing because then people can't question your motives Mm -hmm. um yeah and it's a lot of added stress and workload exactly exactly and i just like right i like i love racing and i love that's why i mean like how i was saying i don't want to complain about everything because um i love every part of what we get to do and that's why i've kind of made these points as well because like a last thing i want to see is someone who is in was was in my position is in my position or like is in the position that I came from like as a privateer and stuff not getting the opportunities to get to do what I do because it is so awesome yeah yeah it'd be a shame to miss out on talented riders as well from yeah, a sports yeah. perspective and like the, the level is so high these days it's like we're not yeah like I'm happy like it would be cool. I'm not even gonna get started with the top eighty thing because the sixties okay the sixties okay because um that's that's what they've deemed to be okay and that's all good. But you know, the level is so high now, there's yeah, there's a lot of guys who are vying for that position and that's all that's sweet. You don't need you don't want it to be you know, it's okay if there's hundred and eighty guys at a World Cup vying for sixty spots. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I guess so. Yeah, fair play. Well, let's uh, let's hope that some positive stuff happens, and uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what changes and whether anyone picks it up and and tries to get something together. 
be uh, I think it would be good for the sport to have a bit more of a voice from the riders maybe. yeah just a bit more transparency I mean like how, yeah yeah like that's that's all that's all I'd like to see is like you know because it's with the with racing the enduro and stuff like as a rider if I don't like something I can go and talk to Chris Ball he's not like he's not out of reach he's he's right there mm-hmm. and he's more than happy to explain something or take your point on. And he does make changes when the riders do raise points that he might not have seen. Um, yeah. But we don't have that in downhill at all. There's, there's no okay. way. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, you can't, you can't like go and raise a point to someone. It won't go anywhere. It'll just fall. It just falls on deaf ears. Right. Mm. Okay. Something needs to change then by the sounds of it. Let's see what happens. Yeah, yeah, let's see what it's, happens. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it, it's Team Rumours time of year. And something that I've kind of always wondered is, do you guys all know who's going where? Or is it a mystery for you guys too? Is there a lot of speculation? Uh, you have a you have a pretty good understanding of it. Um, obviously, this year, there's not really many changes. Um, but you, I mean, they try and... They try and kind of keep everyone tries to keep their cards close to their chest, but um, you, how would I say? There's only sometimes there's only so many rides and only so many riders, yes. and sometimes there's the perfect amount. So one guy's gone from here. That that's there's only maybe five spots for him to go, and then yeah. you know, and vice versa, and you kind of it all just you yeah, everyone kind of falls into their respective spots. So yeah, you you do have a good un, yeah good understanding. Well, you do know where most people are going. Yeah, and the high profile one that's been kind of talked about so far because I think Madison put a press release out is that Danny's going to be moving. Mm. Where where do you think he would fit well? Like what? Where would you where would you want him to go? What where do you think he would be a good fit? Uh to be honest, because I like we hang out with Danny a lot, um, and uh, yeah. He's he's actually really good value, and like the good thing about Danny is, um, from a team's point of view, uh, is that it, he doesn't actually have to fit in anywhere because he kind of runs his own program. So like, he stays in his motorhome. He like you know he, he he runs. He's quite independent in terms of like he's always got his own same mechanic. As long as the bike's yeah. good, um, he's pretty happy because he doesn't have to, you know. Well, he's he's a social guy, but he doesn't need to like fit into the clique of the team because he does. Okay. He you know he, he brings his wife along with him. Um, he just he loves right. He just loves racing. But um, so it's actually as long as he's happy with the equipment that he's got, he's he generally will be pretty happy with the wherever he ends up. Um, okay. Yeah. So without saying where he's going, <laughs> I'm sure he'll be. Happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure he'll be happy where where he's going. It'll be an interesting one to see. Yeah. Mm. Who else? Do you know who else is out of contract then? Um, out of contract. I know Reese's Reese's contract was up with Trek, so it'll be interesting to see whether he stays with Trek. Um, yeah, his his value will have gone up, no doubt. Exactly. So, like, yeah. Because one thing that's certain is that Reese Wilson is world champ. Because it's, you know whether or Loris win, wins the overall and stuff, it still wasn't 
the overall as we knew it. You know, it wasn't like fought down to the line, tooth and nail, like uh, yeah, like Loix and uh, Marie's battle last year. So that's always mm. it's not quite the same. Whereas Reese's World Champs, it's a one day race every year. He won that race, so like he is the world champ. Um, so I think that that will always come with get the respect that it deserves. Um, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't like. There's not a huge amount of teams opening up spots. Um, okay. Everyone's because some years there's lots, and it's just it's just kind of the luck of how the contracts are written. Whereas you know, lots of riders have two year contracts, and a lot of their contracts will come up at the same time. But then one guy might have a three year contract, so the next year he'll be in the middle of all the openings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is a quiet year for team changes, then. Yeah, it seems to be. There's uh, in terms of the major ones. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, mm. yeah, I'm sure. Watch this space for the press releases then. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm quite in, I'm quite interested to see where, you know, Reese Wilson ends up. be interesting to see if, like, someone like Phil Atwell leaves Cube, um, you know, because I know his contract's up. Um, yeah. Or, so, like, yeah, yeah, would be, who else is up? Yeah, there's not many, eh? Nah, it's kind of, it's a bit dull. It's just, yeah, just, <laughs> 2020 is giving us lots, but not that much goss. Yeah, that's no good, is it? No. <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. Yeah. So what what are your plans for uh, when you're released from your little hotel prison? Um, I'm going to go home. I'll go home to where my parents live because it's not far from where I've been doing my quarantine uh, for a couple of days and get some stuff from home, and then I'll just move back down to Queenstown um, I live in a pretty crazy house in Queenstown with all the guys. Um, so lots of motorbikes and, uh, shenanigans, um, for a few weeks to catch up with on any, uh, thing I missed out on. I just recently bought a trials bike, trials motorbike. Um, okay. which I've got no experience riding a trials motorbike, but, um, I know I'll like it. <laughs> yeah. So, and there's a bit of a crew with them, so and I had a, I've got a dirt bike that I had over the winter, and all my housemates now have dirt bikes as well. So um, nice, yeah, a lot of bit more petrol powered stuff leading up to Christmas, um, yeah, which is cool because it's like I've always kind of avoided it. Um, well, I've either been injured or I just haven't had the money or um, you know lots of things, so I've never really so I'm more I'm so new to it and I fucking suck. But, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought I'd be kind of good, but I'm not. Um, but it's nice to su- – it's good to suck at stuff, I reckon. It's so – because you appreciate how quick the learning curve is. Yeah, you're on the steep part of it. Yeah, yeah. So you're like, fuck it. You, you're like, you're really getting way better quick, so it's nice. So I really yeah. like it. Um, nice one. Yeah. And then put a, try to do as much surfing as I can because I surfed so much over – when I was doing the lockdown up and – up north that um yeah i just was like oh, i just need that in my life nice and any big projects for Ed Bull media house is it is it going to be busy um yeah hopefully um try I've, yeah i've definitely got a few project projects coming up um so there should be some good 
uh, Ed Bull content coming out. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Um, Pivot, Pivot is slowly warming to the fact that uh, like <laughs> they're letting us to kind of have free reign on our ideas in yeah, terms of the bit. videos. So we've got some pretty out there ones planned and, um, yeah, pretty close to getting – Getting the go ahead on those, which I'm I'm adamant, which I'm sure we'll we'll get the green light. So um, yeah, there should be some funny shit coming out later in nice. the summer. A bit more yeah. worldwide, wide world of sport. Yeah, maybe a bit of wide world, wide world of sport, or um, a few new yeah, a few new things. But um, <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely keeping the keeping the vibes light. No, we're not. There won't be any intense, um, serious content coming out of the Pivot guys this summer. Fair play. And any more uh, uh, editorial stuff? Have you got a few more things you want to get off your chest? Um, yeah, well, I've been I've been writing a little bit while I've been here, so um, hopefully I've done a few articles for a couple of magazines, and then I'll keep doing maybe doing a bit more for. Um, Vital, just on anything that I that's worth um, worth talking about. So yeah, yeah, it's cool to like uh, it's cool to have that kind of you know to be able to just put stuff out and people will read it, which is pretty sweet. Definitely, yeah, it's good to hear from riders. We don't there's not a lot of kind of written content coming from the actual riders, so I think it's it's different for people and it's interesting and good to see your perspective on stuff. So. Yeah, well up for more. Yeah, of that. and it's cool. It's cool to write because I haven't, <laughs> you know, it's been a long time since I've like sat down at a computer with an empty page and just been like, go. So um, that's sweet. So and then I've been reading books and stuff. So it's good to get back into the more not so not intellectual, but like you know, like get off Instagram and <laughs> do something yeah, constructive yeah. for an hour. Yeah, definitely, man. So, any good book recommendations? What have you enjoyed recently? Um, I read one called Lion. Uh, first few days that I was in here, which is about an Indian boy who gets lost and then gets adopted to a family in Australia and uses. Uh, it's been made into a movie and uses Google uh, Maps. Yeah. Uses Google Maps to like find his way home. Yeah, it's a true story, it, right? I think. Yeah, yeah, it's a true story. It's quite. It's quite like emotional and it's a pretty sweet story. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, and it's an easy read. It like, you know, you know, some books are hard. It's just like it just kind of you can just sit there and read it. Um, nice. And then I've just started reading a um, Pat Benatar autobiography that I got from okay. like an op-, op shop somewhere. And then uh, I'm going to read that one by the dude who started Patagonia called Let My People Go Surfing. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, really yeah, so uh, that's my next one. So I'm just going to pump out this Pat Benatar one. And then um, one more I've got before I leave is The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, I think it's called. Oh, yeah. Sven Larsen, is it, I think? I think so, yeah. So yeah, someone I've recommended it, that but... and gave it to me. So I was like, sweet, yeah. Nice. Keep so, yourself busy. Yeah. Well, it's just like, oh, I just need to get away from the screens. <laughs> Yeah, if it's definitely. not the computer, it's the phone. And if it's not the phone, it's the TV. So I just like, I go and read. I've been, I've been trying to read about, I don't know, 75 pages a day. So I've been breaking it up into three 25-page reading sessions. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I like the fact you've got such structure to your day. It's impressive. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> cool. Well, it's yeah. been super interesting catching up, man. I appreciate you uh, giving us some of your quarantine hours to to chat away and find out a bit more about what's been going on. And yeah, no, hopefully, no hopefully you get out of there pretty soon. Hope the the marathon doesn't finish you off. And um, right, yeah. it definitely, will, it definitely will finish me off. But um, no, nah. <laughs> it'll be all good. <laughs> amazing yeah i'm looking forward to whatever 2021 turns into but yeah at least we've worked out how to race with covid so if it's it's still there at least we should have a a bit more of a Mm. race season i hope yeah if we're not racing we'll still be riding so it won't be all bad yeah good stuff man all right well thanks a lot for your time and uh yeah we'll catch you you next year all right that's it for this episode with eddie i hope you've enjoyed listening A massive thanks to The Strength Factory and Privateer for supporting this episode of the show. If you want to get on Ben's complete MTB program, then as a downtime listener, you can save $20 on the eight-week foundation part of the program up until the 23rd of November. All you need to do is to head to thestrengthfactory.uk, navigate to the complete MTB program, and use the code DOWNTIME, all lowercase, at the checkout. Also, if you can't get to the gym, then his bodyweight program is available for a one-off cost of £16 at thestrengthfactory.uk forward slash bodyweight dash MTB. If you want to find out more about Privateer and see the 161 and 141 bikes, then you can do that over at privateerbikes.com and you can hear all about them in last week's episode of the podcast. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. If you want to represent the show, then grab yourself a t-shirt or one of the brand new sweatshirts or hoodies by heading over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. Keep warm, look good and help support the podcast at the same time. You know what to do by now? Keep on spreading the word about the podcast. The more people who listen, the easier it is for me to keep this thing going. It really is that simple. Also, if you've got a couple of minutes, then a review over on iTunes is also really helpful. All right, we've got another awesome episode coming up soon. But until then... Get out and ride.